Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along with our Bible reading plan this year, you can subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan inside of the YouVersion Bible app. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yeah, so make sure you grab one of those so you can join us on this journey uh, through God's Word this year. Uh, and as usual, we always like to take some time to answer questions. And so if you've got questions that come up or maybe as you're reading along uh, that you just don't necessarily have clarity to or you'd like us to spend some time answering those, we would love for you to send in those questions uh, to our email at infogrove.church. Uh, or if you're on the Facebook, you can feel free to like the Grove Church Facebook page in Marysville, Washington, as well as Snohomish, Washington. Uh, and you can send in uh, those questions through direct message there as well. So it's going to be a fun year. Uh, this is week two of our podcast as we're kind of, unfolding. Yeah. Well, it's week two because it's the second podcast. That's what I meant. So, That's fair. Um, but, First official week. Yes, it's going to be fun. It's going to be so. awesome. So uh, one of the things, I guess, that we want to start off uh, future episodes with, and it's, it just kind of get better about, is actually listing off the resources that we used uh, for research. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously... Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, you know, people put a lot of work into those. And so I want to make sure that we're not just Get like them their credit. Yeah, exactly. Give people credit. Uh, those resources are incredibly helpful. And then also for you, uh, if you want to study at home, you can kind of get an idea of the things that we're using. Yeah, do it. So today what we have written down, uh, the ESV study Bible, which you'll see most weeks. because Every week we'll probably hit that up. Yeah, we, me and Aaron. It's a phenomenal a resource. Um, and it, I just love the way it, break down, it breaks down books. It intros books. Uh, it's definitely a resource that you should have. Uh, as you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus. So. Yeah. If you don't have a study Bible, uh, I like that one a lot, but I would just get one in general, but yeah. uh, that one I prefer. Uh, also, I'm, we're using The Essence of the New Testament, which is a book by uh, Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, um, which is a New Testament survey, which if you don't know what that is, um, it's just a book that kind of gives a cursory overview of every yeah. book in the New Testament. A brief introduction. It was also my textbook in college. Oh. So held on to it for a while now. I had one too, but I gave it away to someone and I don't have it anymore. Bummer. And then finally, uh, billygram.org, which you'll uh, later on in the podcast, you'll see where that came in. But yeah, during some uh, interesting question that came in. So uh, with that being said, this week, uh, again, uh, just as a reminder, our podcast is changing formats a little bit. Instead of following along with every single part of the Bible reading plan that we're doing, we're going to take time... to really dive deeper into some topics, um, just because we feel like if we if we did the whole year again, it would kind of be the same podcast as last time. We'd be going over a lot of the same information. Yeah, it feel really repetitive and redundant. Exactly. Um, and we just want to make sure that we're keeping things strategic um, and intentional to help you continue to process. So yep. So here we're spending the entire uh, give or take thirty minutes on the book of Matthew. So it's going to be really fun, uh, a deep dive. So the first thing we're going to do uh, is just kind of introduce who Matthew is, what the book is about, and then we'll actually go section by section for how we uh, how we break down the book. So the first thing uh, is that the gospel of Matthew is written by the apostle Matthew, uh, and it's dated to... Shocker. Yeah, I know. What are you going to do? But uh, it's dated to about the mid-60s, which is contemporary with the other synoptic gospels. Um, and so the way it works, you know, there's four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, um, and the reason that they're categorized on their own is because they share a lot of the same stories with each other. So there's some things that are found only in Matthew, only Mm -hmm. in Mark, only in Luke, um, but you'll see very large sections of them uh, are either word for word the same, or they're extremely similar in how they're written, and so that's why they're uh, separate onto themselves. Um, And most scholars would date those Gospels as being written around the same time and earlier than the Gospel of John, which is usually dated uh, much later. So Matthew, as far as the person, uh, it's interesting because he's not one of, I would call, um, I wouldn't call him a main character 
of the Gospels. Yeah, uh, he's kind of he's obviously one of the twelve disciples, which is a big deal. Um, so he's not a nobody, um, but he's certainly not you know Peter, James, John, mm-hmm. Andrew, any of those disciples that are kind of brought up. You don't hear his name very often yeah, mentioned exactly. in the Gospels. Uh, also, he has he goes by two names. He is called Matthew and Levi, which was Cheater. kind of a well, it was a common thing back then. If you look at biblical characters, there's a lot of uh, yeah. biblical people who. Go by two names. Um, I'm being honest with you. If I'm reading the Bible and I'm not thinking about that, it gets distracting and, and confusing at times. Oh, for sure. But uh, now you know. Knowing Boom. half the battle. Boom. G.I. Joe. So. <laughs> That's a shout out to my childhood. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, Matthew was a tax collector uh, who Jesus called to be one of his disciples. And so I actually have a passage pulled up from when uh, Jesus calls Matthew. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Um, and it starts off, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so the idea is, uh, and, and just, just, just to kind of put it into context, um, none of us today are really fans of tax collectors, I guess. No. <laughs> so like even today, like I don't... It's not this horrible immoral. I just thing. don't even like paying taxes. I do pay taxes. I just don't like the concept. Yeah, if I you pay, stupid. like if you work for the IRS, I'd kind it. of give you the side it eye a little bit. Yeah, right. But um, you got to get out of uh, our context of what taxes are today and really look at what it was back then. Um, tax collectors were some of the most hated people yes, in Israel, um, and not necessarily undeservedly so. We don't know a ton about Matthew, um, but we do know that corruption was rampant yeah. uh, in the tax collecting community. And most of them were seen, I shouldn't say most, pretty much all of them were seen yeah. um, as traitors to Israel because what they were doing is they were um, they were collecting taxes for a Roman empire that was oppressing the people. Um, and, and eventually the oppression would get much worse um, mm-hmm. in AD 70 when the, the temple is destroyed and all those different things. And so they're viewed as traitors in, in that sense. And also uh, because the corruption, corruption was rampant throughout the tax collecting community, um, a lot of them would overcharge. And so you see this with the story of Zacchaeus, um, where it's not just the taxes that he takes, but it's also that he takes more than he needs to, and he would pocket that money. Um, and the, That's how they got rich. Yeah. And the Romans didn't really care. Um, as long as they got their taxes, mm-hmm. they weren't going to really you know, worry about it. And so we can uh, kind of infer from the text that Matthew was probably participating in this. It doesn't say it explicitly. So if he wasn't, that was his reputation because right. he was a tax collector. So and it's, it's even interesting because they say tax collectors and sinners. Like tax collectors had their own category <laughs> of sinner, uh, which was below. I mean if you were going to go what levels of sinners, tax collectors were towards the bottom of it, which is just crazy to think about. But it's true. And I think we have that even in the local church and our mentality at times if we're being honest. Yeah. We have levels of sinners. But anyways. Well, there's sinners and then below them is tax collectors. And then below them the is people hands. who go uh, 60 miles per hour in the fast lane on the freeway. And so, then Seahawks hands. So. And see, how dare you? Um, <laughs> you? You almost agreed with me. Almost. Yes. Anyway, I love the Seahawks. I'm sorry they lost. Um, and then finally, uh, the main theme that you're going to see all throughout Matthew, and this is kind of what differentiates it from uh, the other gospels. So um, Matthew is written primarily to Jews. Um, and there's actually an interesting note in the uh, the study Bible that I forgot to pull up. Um, but it, I know. But it talks about how a lot of tradition actually holds 
um, that Matthew wrote the gospel first for the church at Antioch, which is in northern Israel, um, which if you're reading Acts. Christianity is, started. Yep, exactly. Acts is, Antioch is kind of like the. Uh, it's the hub. It's, it the literally hub. is like the launching point of the new church or the new ancient world with right. Christianity. So, I only know that because I'm just reading the book of Acts. We're fin- finishing it up. But which I'm thinking we're going to go through. I think we're going to go through Acts this year. Yeah, I think we should. It's a phenomenal book. But, um, but anyways, yeah, so Matthew is written there. Um, all the gospels kind of have their own interesting art audience like yeah. Luke for instance is uh, very much written to skeptics uh, people who are outside of Judaism to tell them what happened right. um, and then Matthew is written very much to Jews and mm-hmm. so what you'll see when you're reading through Matthew is something will happen and then all of a sudden they'll just be an aside and it'll say and this was to fill the prophecy that was written by so and so and then it'll list the Old Testament and, mm-hmm. and what Matthew's trying to show there is that uh, Jesus the alignment yeah Jesus is the King Messiah that we've been waiting for and so that's kind of the goal of Matthew. Um, that's how it breaks down. And so to, to kind of move forward here, we're going to separate the book of Matthew into four sections, I believe is what, yep, we did four sections uh, today. Section one, and this is what uh, Aaron's about to jump into, is the birth and the early life of Christ, which is Matthew one through two. Mm-hmm. Uh, section two is going to be uh, Jesus's early ministry and the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew three through seven. Uh, section three is a really, it's a massive section, uh, so we're not going to get too deep, deep into like every little thing that happens, uh, but it's just the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, just trying so, to give you an overview of what, what to expect as you hit it. Yeah. From the Sermon on the Mount till- uh, The crucifixion. Yeah. The Passion Week, essentially. Uh, so that's Matthew 8, 25. And then finally, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, which is Matthew 26 through 28. So Aaron, you've got some notes yeah, on- yeah. On uh, just the first, in essence, two chapters of Matthew, we will um, kind of just see this idea Um where it's Jesus's birth and the early life of Christ before he really gets in, involved in ministry. Um, and and it's interesting because I'm actually, uh, I pulled it up because I was going to pretend to read it, uh, all of Matthew 1. But Matthew 1 really is this genealogy um, before it hits the nativity. Um, and coming out of Christmas a few weeks back, we, we kind of are remembering the nativity. But um, it is it is something to be said about the the value of the genealogy, knowing that uh, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. You're literally seeing him make the connection. Um, and and, I'm, and I have this quote I wanna, from Isaiah 11. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Isaiah where it talks about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. It says this in verse one. It says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And it continues on to talk about uh, what the Messiah will or where the Messiah will come from. Um, but Matthew really does strategically work through the genealogy uh, from Abraham all the way until Christ, uh, because the goal of it is is to to again create that alignment. If I'm a, if I'm part of the Jewish culture, Jewish world, my uh, and I, you're talking to me about this Messiah, then I want to I or or I am already thinking and remembering about the prophecies that foretell the coming Messiah. Uh, and so there's certain boxes you've got to check in order to convince me as a Jewish member uh, that this is actually the Messiah. Well, and lineage is also. Um... It's funny because it's something that's not super important in our culture. It still is to a certain extent because you kind of just see like, you know, like. Yeah, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, like, you know, LeBron There's James' son. There's but it's not. Is on all the yeah. highlights as well. I was gonna say. But um, but yeah. And, Brawny. And, Brawny. And, but in, in that culture, uh, your heritage was incredibly important. And so you'll see even throughout all the Old Testament when you're introducing um, whoever it is, it's always so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, yep. the son of so-and-so. Uh, I was just reading through Ezra, um, just kind of on my own. And it's like when Ezra first is introduced as a character, it's very important to the book to say like, to trace him all the way back to Aaron in his yeah. priestly line. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, what you see happening. Well, with it's the, important for us to remember that too, because I think right. 
it, you hear the name Ezra, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. If you know, you're soon to be parent, like, oh, that could be a fun name to have for my kid. But there's so much history and um, it's merit is what it is. It, it's when a name is attached to a legacy or a history of, of, of a lineage of people. And so right. um, we see that in Matthew. We see it in the first you know chapter of Matthew before it talks about Jesus' birth and being in Bethlehem and this nativity scene, uh, we just see it. And it, he, Jesus is, uh, you know, the the branch that uh, Isaiah 1, 11, 1 is referring to. Um, and they they really do, in, in a, a large picture of Matthew, they actually present the foundation uh, for which the rest of this gospel is built on. Um, it's this idea of the arrival in history of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, and so it's interesting Sometimes it's really easy to skirt past um, the the genealogy, and I remember even reading it with my kids. Like, okay, we're gonna skip this. Like, <laughs> um, but there is a pretty uh, just a side note of a resource you could read. It's called The Hidden Christmas uh, by Timothy Keller. It talks about the nativity and Christmas and Jesus the Messiah, and it talks about the analogy here uh, or the genealogy here in this in this portion of Matthew. So, uh, books on my shelf, but I haven't gotten to it yet. It's a it's a pretty should. incredible book. Um, <laughs> It's 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 almost like Christmas series worthy to build a series out of, but anyways, hmm. it's a good book. So, but yeah, that's the I mean that's that's the first two chapters. All Matthew is doing is establishing the validity of Jesus the Messiah. He's introducing the birth of Jesus as the Messiah, uh, and then from there we see uh, the rest of Jesus' life unfold. So. Yeah. So obviously, uh, there's a bit of a miraculous uh, way that Jesus is born. Yeah. Um, Which is really interesting. I also learned, this is a total side note, but I saw it was really interesting because I was just learning out the other day, um, that the reason, one of the reasons that we have December 25th as the date of Christmas is because um, early tradition held that Jesus died on the same day um, that he was conceived. And so December 25th is... uh, Hmm is nine months after March 25th, which is the first traditional date of Easter. So there you go. Fun fact. If you ever wondered why, uh, why the other church settled on that date and not like, you know, the 21st or something. So, which is my birthday. So I don't know why I threw that in there, but I did. You want the accolades. (laughs) There you go. Uh, so the second section, uh, after we get out of, uh, the birth narrative of Matthew, we get into Jesus' early ministry um, and the Sermon on the Mount. So the section begins uh, with John the Baptist emerging uh, and preaching repentance to the people of Israel. Um, and so remember, we talked about in Matthew, there's a lot of asides. And so immediately, uh, this is shown to be a fulfillment of messianic prophecies. So in Matthew chapter three, verses one through three, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken out, uh, spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Um, and aren't Jesus and John cousins? Right. Uh, because Mary's sister, no. Not sister. It was, Aunt? I think it was Mary's cousin. Mary so something. Like They're related. That's all I know. Um, six months, almost to like six yeah. month window of, of difference in age. And is it, so. yeah, it's really interesting too, because um, I don't think that account is in Matthew, but I should have, I should have looked at that first, but there is an account of uh, Mary, uh, going to meet with Elizabeth when they're both pregnant. Um, and, and Elizabeth says that her child actually jumps for joy. That's in Luke. In Luke. There you go. Uh, so kind of Jesus and John are very, um, they're very connected. Yeah. Their they're lives are close. intertwined. Yep. And John is clearly supposed to be kind of the, the forebearer, the herald, I guess you could say of, of Christ. Yeah. You'll hear him referred to as Elijah, the new Elijah. There you go. 
Uh, so Jesus is then baptized, uh, and God the Father declares who Jesus is. Um, this is a really important moment uh, in well in all the Gospels, but particularly, um, it's just a really important showing uh, to the to the Jews that this is that Jesus is someone who is not outside of the purview of God, mm-hmm. uh, who's outside the purview of Yahweh. Um, this is clearly something that um, is blessed by God. And so in Matthew chapter three, uh, verses 16 through 17, uh, it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Um, and this is also one of the first places that we get this really clear picture of uh, the entire triune Godhead yeah. or the Trinity being in one place. Um, so we'll, yeah, they're omnipresent, but you get you know what I'm saying. So, oh, for sure. Uh, Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is descending, and then God the Father blesses um, essentially the mission of what is going to happen there. Um, after that, uh, Jesus goes into the desert and is tempted by Satan. Um, I think a lot of us kind of know there, so I'm not going to go over a ton of it. But uh, Jesus essentially quotes scripture at Satan. Satan offers him. Uh, basically everything, the world, uh, and Jesus refuses it. Um, it's just kind of like one of the temptations that was important for Jesus to go through before he actually begins um, his earthly ministry. So in the next scene that we see after that uh, is Jesus beginning to call his first disciples. And so we get a couple stories of, you know, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men is where that comes from. And that's where Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who are kind of your four main disciples. Yeah, um, like the pillars. Yeah. You're kind of like, you're, you're the... The main characters, I guess you could say. I don't know how you want to describe it, but that's who those guys are. Uh, He calls them. And then right after that, he's preaching probably, I would say, the most famous sermon that we see in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, And that is the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is preaching to large crowds. And we the Sermon on the Mount is really fascinating because there's so many things that we have... Um, that are in the modern, I guess, lexicon of Christianity that come from the Sermon on the Mount that um, aren't things that you kind of have to think about. They're just things that we know. Um, And so, for instance, uh, the Beatitudes, which if you don't know those, those are the sayings where Jesus says, blessed are the blank, for they shall be blank. Um, And he kind of goes through uh, a different, you know, a bunch of different ones. Like one of the more famous ones is, you know, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And a theme for a lot of what the Sermon on the Mount is, is it's kind of upending what the cultural expectation would be at the time. So for instance, the idea of inheriting the earth, well, obviously that would be someone who's uh, very forceful, like a warrior mm-hmm. or whatever it would be. And then Christ says, you know, well, no, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are the the sorrowful for they will be comforted. All these different things are coming in. Um, after the Beatitudes, uh, there's a very important statement where it says that Christ has come to fulfill the law. And so the idea there is that not that, um, and I think this is something we, we need to keep in mind as modern Christians, that Jesus did not come uh, because the law was a bad thing. Jesus did not come because uh, the law needed to be changed, but rather he came to fulfill the requirements that God had in the law and establish a new covenant. Um, and that might sound like semantics, but it is really important to remember that um, the law or God's law is not the villain in scripture mm-hmm. rather it's our own sinfulness but it's so easy to look at the law as the villain yeah if really i would have been given the law i would be okay like i remember dude it's such a it's a, such a profound thing and the other thing too is just to be mindful and remember when jesus says i've come, f- come to fulfill the law i think there's two things um that are important to remember the first is that he's talking about the torah the the, the pentateuch which is where the laws have been established and written which we'll be getting into uh, next yes week. uh part of it at least um but it is like, it's talking about the Torah. It's talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. This is the law that Jesus is referring to. Um, and even contextually, what Jesus is doing in the in the Sermon on the Mount is he's taking 
uh, the interpretation of that law as the Pharisees and the religious leaders have established through practices and codes and, and requirements, and he's, and he's removing it. He's, he's saying, listen, I'm fulfilling the law as God had originally written, I'm fulfilling it. Um, and, and so the, the interesting thing is, I think this is where some of the, the, the this is why it's so important to remember Matthew's writing to Jewish culture uh, and to Jewish, a Jewish audience is he's redefining a couple things. First off, he's re- he's redefining and establishing God's law, uh, and not the expectations and the law that the Pharisees have established and the religious leaders established. Um, but Jesus is saying, "Hey, those things have been fulfilled in me. This is now what I'm telling you. This is how to live in response. This is how, now where where you need to be um, in in response to who I am and what God's kingdom is all about." So, yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and then we get to the next part um, after. Uh, after that whole dialogue, uh, he talks about, he, it basically it's the, you have heard it said statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those, if you want to be convicted, boy, read the, you have heard it said uh, statements and essentially what it's kind of getting at. And it's funny because I think, oh, so I'll, I'll say this part first and then we'll kind of, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> so well, easy to do. Yeah. What is, what, what the, the point of the statements is he'll say something like, you know, um, you have heard it said that shall not murder. Um, but I say to you, whoever has hated someone in his heart has already committed murder in his heart. And so the idea is, you know, don't murder. And most of the people in the crowd are probably like, yeah, okay, sweet. I've been, I've been done nailing that it. Yep. And then it goes, and if you've hated someone, then you've committed murder in your heart. And then all of a sudden a lot less people are going to be like, yeah. And I think, um, there's this idea sometimes that you hear, um, you know, in preaching or just ideas that in the new Testament, Jesus said, it's no longer just about the um the actions of fulfilling the law, but it's about the heart and intent behind it. But really, that's been a message throughout the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read the Old Testament, particularly, um, think of the prophets who are uh, who are prophesying right before the fall of Israel and Judah. So uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, those those prophets. Their message throughout the whole book is, I don't care about speaking, I guess, for, for God there. But the, the idea is that God is saying, I don't care about the the religious adherence of just the of the traditions. What yeah. I care about is the heart behind it. Well, David even says the sacrifice of God are a broken and contrite heart, right? Um, broken spirit and a contrite heart, whatever. Um, but it's, it's talking about the internal, not the external. So, and I think one of the most powerful passages of the Bible, I don't have it pulled up cause it's just kind of coming to my head. Um, but in Isaiah, it says that your righteousness is like filthy rags. Um, mm-hmm. And the actual translated word is kind of gross, but it's menstrual rags is, is what he's throwing out and mm-hmm. saying that when you bring your righteousness to God, that is what it's like. It's not saying when you bring your sin to God, that's what it's like. It's saying even our, in our in our righteousness and the good things that we do, um, our hearts are so corrupt. And Jesus is kind of showing people with the if-then statements, or not the if-then statements, but the uh, you have heard it said statements that um, even though like, yeah, great, you haven't murdered or you haven't committed adultery or you haven't, you know, the, the different things that he says, even if you haven't done those things in your heart, you're still corrupt. In your heart, maybe yeah. you still desire to do those things. And so it's kind of, it's, it's really an important part of Jesus' ministry because without fully understanding the depth of our slavery to sin, we can't understand um, the beauty of our redemption yeah. in Christ. So um, true. I'm taking a long time, so I'll just I'll wrap it up here. Uh, after the You Have Heard It Said statements, we have the Lord's Prayer, which is kind of just a way of, um, of Jesus showing, you know, when we pray, what are things to do? And so not that we have to repeat that exact prayer, but it is really well segmented where it's saying, you know, you know, thanking God for who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we forgive our debtors, um, or essentially, you know, if forgive me my sin 
in the same way that I'm forgiving others for their sin. And that can be a really convicting prayer too. There's, there's so much you can yeah, talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the yeah. Mount. So I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as you're reading through, I would encourage you just really pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Um, it's incredible. And yeah. it's some of the most um, convicting, but in a good way, passages of, of, of the Bible. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, even before we jump into the ministry of Jesus, this is the first time that Jesus is on the scene, so to speak, in the book of Matthew. We see him. Um, in essence, establishing um, what it's going to be like, like what it's like to be, I mean, the kingdom of God is a very big focus throughout the gospels. Um, you, you'll hear it and see it read and, and you'll read it in different statements. Like the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this. Um, but God, Jesus is really kind of establishing, this is, this is what my kingdom is about. This is what, I, this is what I'm coming to establish uh, and saying that I haven't come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. He's saying, hey, I fulfilled the law. Now it's time to, to take the next step forward. And so uh, we'll see that throughout scriptures if we, if we read it and pay attention and we invite the Holy Spirit to, to guide it and every bit of our, our reading to, uh, over this next year. I guess the 49 weeks that we're going to be in this plan. Um, but as we jump into like the, the rest of Matthew, almost chapters eight to 25, it is such a, a massive um, chunk of the, of the book. And when I, when I saw this in the breakdown, uh, I kind of cursed your name a little bit, Evan, because there's so much <laughs> content and the problem with me is I'm very detailed. And so I want to work through all of it. Uh, but I just have to remember, like, it's not, it's not my job to work through this for you, but it's my it's my heart is to be able to help prepare you as you work through it so the Holy Spirit can trigger and, and guide different pieces to it. Um, and so we're going to see over the next, you know, 17, 18 chapters that this is where Jesus is then he then goes to work. Uh, right. Sermon on the Mount, he kind of establishes a culture, a kingdom principle, a kingdom mind. Hey, this is what the kingdom of God is about. Um, he takes, I, I kind of have said it this way, he raises the bar from what was to what now is because of the, his kingdom. Uh, and that's where like the statements on adultery and murder and things like that play into effect. Um, but you're going to see throughout the, 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 his ministry, you're going to see him calling Matthew. You're going to see him uh, perform miracles, heal lame people, heal blind people, uh, do some incredible things. He's going to invite individuals to salvation. He's going to uh, finish calling and inviting his disciples. Um, he's going to teach. He's going to train. He's going to raise them up and send them out. Uh, those same, very same disciples he invites to be a part of his crew. Um, you're going to see persecution. You're going to see judgment. You're going to see um, the the religious leaders have an uproar against Christ. And you're going to see the disciples have really brilliant moments, but also some really dumbfounding moments. Like all of us. Uh, like all of us. <laughs> well, besides me. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's it's just, it really is Jesus answering the question of this is what the kingdom looks like. Um, think about it for a second. If you, if you remember the context, Jewish people, they have, they have been spoken to for decades. Uh, their ancestors have been directed and spoken to for decades. And then they find themselves in a, a period of time where they're just waiting for this kingdom to be theirs. They know the coming Messiah is going to usher in a new kingdom. And their mentality is literally thinking when the Messiah shows up, we're taken over. When the Messiah comes, we're no longer be subject to other governing powers and authorities. We're gonna, we're now gonna rule them. And so, when Jesus shows up, they're not, they're not what they expect. He's not what they expect. Um, they've been waiting for this um, kingdom to come, and from then they hear about this birth of of a of a man who fulfills prophecies, and then. They're almost caught off guard by what it looks like. Jesus was not about establishing an earthly rule. He was about establishing a sovereign rule right. that was over everything. Um, and one of the key passages I think is important to just highlight for us real quick uh, is in Matthew chapter 10. 
uh, th- this passage is, is, is interesting, it's provocative, it's challenging. Um, and I think it's just a strategic line that Jesus draws uh, that, re- that requires someone even in the ancient times and us today to cross over to be included in his kingdom. Um, and I think us today, we call this line of salvation based upon faith in Christ. Um, and so there's a division that it got that Jesus creates in Matthew chapter 10. And this is what it says. I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. These are the words of Jesus. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is literally drawing a line in the sand saying, here's my kingdom. Yeah, I'm not bringing peace. I'm bringing division. And it's not because Jesus showed up and just wanted to create division and chaos, but he's establishing a standard and an expectation. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. I want you to be a part of it. There's an invitation tone in this statement, but there's also a very clear line in this statement. But this is what it looks like. So households are going to be divided. Um, you know, family is going to be divided. Your enemy may all of a sudden be part of the, God, the family of God. And so Jesus is drawing a very clear picture of what it looks like to be a part and included in his kingdom. And I think it's, imp- it's indicative and it reveals kind of this is his ministry. This is what he came to do on earth for the 33 and a half years of his existence. But really, I would say the three and a half years of his ministry life. So uh, it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely interesting. But I think it's definitely um, one worth paying attention to. Yeah, what it brought to mind is, um, and I'll stress really quick, because I guess we're, I think we're already at a half hour, so we're brilliant. We're diving in. Hey, we're all learning. Um, so but, thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. What, what it brought to mind, though, is there's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, um, which I was just reading through a few months ago. Um, and not to get like super deep into it, but basically the premise is, is that there's people um, in hell, they get on a bus, they go to heaven, and they have the option to stay in heaven if they want to, or they can go back. Um, and so obviously not like a... Um, like a theological work that's trying to describe like, this is what it's going to be like, but it's yeah. just kind of like a thought experiment. Um, but one of the situations is a mother who lost her child when the child was very young. Um, and she is given the opportunity to come to heaven. And it's actually like another relative of hers that's already in heaven. Um, and she says like, well, okay, but I want to see my son first. And the person's saying like, well, okay, well, yeah, eventually you will, but you get to see God. And she's like, well, okay, that's fine. But I want to see my son. And she can't get around the idea that, um, to see and experience relationship with God is so much more valuable than mm. seeing her son again. Um, and that's an incredible statement when you think about it. Yeah, that's, that's not a light statement at all. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that eventually she just decides, well, if, if I don't want to serve a God who's so cruel that he won't even let me see my child or whatever it is, and she ends up going back because... Um, the, the the love for your child is not a bad love at all, but she allowed it to become the ultimate thing instead of being um, something that points her affections to God. She allowed it to be something that uh, takes her affections away from God. So uh, it just came, it was a really interesting story. If you haven't read it, read it. It's really, uh, it's a, it's a really powerful book. That's crazy. So there you go. Uh, anyway, so now we're going to wrap up to the final section of Matthew. Uh, and we'll kind of power through this a little bit. So it's Matthew 26 to 28. Um, and it is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, in chapter 26, we see Jesus's miracle ministry begin to come to an end. Um, and then people in political and religious power begin to plot against him. So this would be your Pharisees, your Sadducees, um, the council of the high priests, all those different things. 
uh, Judas takes it upon himself to betray Jesus for money, which I always thought was interesting. I, I don't know why, because it's, it's really obvious when you read it, but it's just the first time it clicked with me really as I was reading through and studying Matthew that uh, Judas goes to the priests and he says, how much would you give me if I turned Jesus over to you? So he wasn't approached or anything like that. He's hmm. literally in his head thinking, I could pr- betray this guy for money. And then uh, the amount that they give him is 30 pieces of silver, which is roughly equivalent to like 7,500 bucks, give or take, so like 7,000 bucks. So um, and the idea that one of the footnotes in, um, I think this one was in the study bubble, but it was talking about how um, the amount is really interesting because it just kind of shows that um, Judas didn't really respect Jesus all that much. Because if you're thinking like, you know, like how much would it cost? I don't know what the equivalent person would be, but if someone's like in power and they're being protected and like, hey, how much would you give me if I turn him over? Like you're thinking in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or yeah. millions or whatever it is, but he's given- Seven grand. Yeah. Seven grand is Eagle. like, you make that in a few months um, and that's the amount it is. So there you go. Uh, Judas betrays Jesus. Uh, the last supper happens. Uh, Peter's denial is foretold, um, which that's in Matthew 26, verses 30 to 35. So I'll read that really quick. Um, And it says, And when they had sung a hymn, this is during the Last Supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Um, so we see uh, the disciples being really headstrong. Uh, all of them are saying, well, Jesus, no, we're never going to leave you. And we know that uh, the only disciple that doesn't leave Jesus is John, uh, who is there at the crucifixion and the rest of the disciples uh, are scared. And they leave, um, even though they've seen all of Jesus' miracles. They've seen, you know, they've seen Jesus walk on water. They've seen him command weather, mm-hmm. all these different things. But they're uh, they're scared, and so they leave. Uh, Jesus is, of course, betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. Um, we don't have a ton of time to dive into the trial, but um, suffice to say, it's not the way a trial is supposed to work. He's tried in the middle of the night, not uh, even in ancient times. Right? Yeah. So he's that, that's what Evans pointing at more than what we think of a trial. Like true. How trials should have played out in ancient times. It was. Very, very, no way. It was. It wasn't in any way, shape, or form how it should have been. Yeah, done. it was purposely done in a way to uh, have as few people know about it as possible. Is kind of how yep. it happens. So, anyways, all of that goes down. Shady. Uh, yeah, Jesus dies, and then he rises again on Easter Sunday. And I just want to take a moment and read a few verses, um, kind of describing that, and then we can jump into the the final part of the podcast today. Um, and it says, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came uh, and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were like snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Um, and so they go, they tell all the disciples. Um, there's a bunch of kind of things that happen when you kind of, when you mesh the four gospels together, you get a really full picture of what the, what was going on in this period between the resurrection of Jesus um, and eventually when he leaves. And then finally, I just want to read the last few verses of Matthew um, because I think they're incredibly powerful. And so it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, and what we just see there is it's what's called the Great Commission. So if you ever hear that, mm-hmm. um, essentially what that means is the great mission that God has given us. Um, but the book of Matthew ends uh, and I think this might lead into the application section a little bit too. I don't know. I don't. I don't know your notes. So maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but the final words of Matthew um, are commands to the disciples, and I think we can definitely interpret them as commands to us to go into all the world um, and tell people yeah. about the incredible person that Jesus is, and about the incredible mercy that we received because uh, of His finished work. Yeah, and I think it's um, you know when it comes to this idea, uh, we have to remember. Um, really what the whole New Testament is about, what the, what the book of Matthew is about. Matthew is trying to um, present uh, the right conversation for the Jewish people to know Jesus is the Messiah. His whole heart is to validate, is to reveal the depths of who Jesus is so that way they can know the truth. Um, the I think sometimes it's, it's it being raised in church or having been involved in church for a long time or even a little bit of time, like you get the same message over and over and over again about Jesus and take the message of Jesus to the, he's the hope of the world and the light of the world and you represent him well. And and I think it's important just to remember as we're reading the book of Matthew is the, the audience matters. Who Matthew's writing to in, uh, influences how he writes. Uh, and so some things are not relevant. Some things are a little bit uh, sidebarred for you and I today, but at the end of the day, uh, we just have to remember like, this is who Jesus is. He fulfills the, the prophecies of the Messiah. He came to this earth, died and rose again with the whole heartbeat of being inclusive, of inviting people to the family of God. And not just necessarily, even as I read earlier, you know, it sounds a little contradictory, like he did create division. He recognized there would be division. He didn't want to create, he didn't want division to be existing, which is why he came, gave his life, died, and was risen again to redeem and restore humanity. Uh, and so I think it's important just to remember as you read the book of Matthew and as you finish it all up, like the heartbeat of Jesus behind everything being written is simply put that others may know uh, that others, that they're invited and included into the family of God. Um, and and he has a very set expectation and standard as far as what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, but we're invited to be a part of that for sure. Um, and I just think that's important to remember as you're reading the book of Matthew. Um, one of the things that we also wanted to do kind of shifting thoughts for a second is just take some time. Uh, maybe a question pops up and we catch wind of it before, as we're talking about the book of Matthew or, uh, maybe a future book or a different topic. And it just kind of fits in the place. We just want to spend some time at the end of our podcast and just answer one, a question or two, depending on how many come in. Uh, and, and so that's where this kind of shifted into kind of a Q and a portion for our podcast today. Uh, and so this is the question that came in that we want to take a few moments and answer for us. Uh, this is what it says. It says in Matthew three, John baptized Jesus, but it state that those who depend should be baptized. I think uh, it means repent, repent. Yeah. That's what I was just gonna say. I think they meant repent, uh, repent should be baptized. Yes. Jesus committed no sins. So what was he repenting of, uh, in the. Uh, one who sent the question, I did a bit of research suggesting repenting wasn't just showing an act, acknowledging sin, but I appreciate some more insight. Uh, so Evan, you wrote more of the note, you wrote notes down for it. So I'll let you take it away and answer it. So. Yeah. So this is where, uh, it's a good question. If you remember the resources that we just off at the beginning, the, uh, the billygram.org, uh, it's a great site. Yeah. As I was, uh, uh, as I was kind of just like looking at like, well, what are some interpretations for what's happening? Uh, that's one that actually I think um, for me, it held a lot of it held a lot of sway, um, and what it says is that 
the baptism of Christ is kind of a precursor to his crucifixion. So if you think about his crucifixion, uh, Jesus in that moment um, experiences the penalty for sin that he never committed. Um, and we know there's, you know, there's separation from the father that happens. We don't know exactly everything that goes on. Um, but if we think about the penalty for sin is in fact, uh, separation from God for all eternity, Jesus experiences separation from God, uh, for, for a period of time because he is taking on the sin of the world in a similar way. Uh, we can view the baptism of Jesus as he is doing an act that he doesn't need to do, um, but rather he's doing it as an acknowledgement to show this mm-hmm. is what his ministry is going to be. Yeah. Even though he doesn't have to repent, um, he is going to be, I guess, he, I want to be careful I say, because he's not going to be the repentance for the whole world because the repentance is still something that we are called to do, but yeah. he's going to be the redemption um, of the whole world. Um, and also this would explain why John was initially hesitant to baptize Jesus. Because if you remember in the story, John's like, uh, wait, no. <laughs> and then Jesus is like, no, no, this is what, I want to do. And so John does baptize him, but does baptize him. Uh, but it's reluctantly because clearly John also understands who Jesus is and understands that the baptism would not be needed. Um, so that's the answer I kind of found most satisfactory, most satisfactory. It's not one of those answers where there's like a clear, this yeah. is the right thing. Uh, but that's interpretation. That yeah. And I've always heard it's like, it's also a practice to model. Uh, sure. the, way, the way Jesus lived his life was, was one that you and I should emulate as much as we possibly can. Uh, and part of the baptism in, in, in water um, was also a, a modeling uh, for those who follow Christ and what they should do as well. Because fast forward to the book of Acts for a minute where Peter has this incredible dis, you know, message that he preaches. Um, and then he's asked, what should we do then? And he just simply says, repent and be baptized. Uh, and so there is some indication, there is some like, this is what Jesus did. This is, we're being baptized and aligning our lives with him. It's this public confession, public demonstration of, of my confession in Christ as I got baptized. Uh, and so it is, it is one of that, those responsibilities as Christians. Um, and even here at the Grove Church, like we say, it's, it's the, it's, it's the biblical next step for those who have said yes to Jesus. And so right. I think that there's, um, just some, just some simplicity to that as well. It's, it's just the lifestyle to model. Um, but that, that would be my thought. Yeah. Pushback. So, so there you go. Not even pushback, just my thought. Yeah. Uh, it's, we talk all the time about open-handed and closed-handed issues. And that's definitely one of those that is, uh, it's very open-handed. Yeah, so there's sure. uh, a lot Baptism's of- Baptism's not- I think it's biblical and you should be baptized yes. for all of Christ, but yeah. How, how you interpret why Jesus was baptized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, very devoted Christians who disagree yeah. uh, on that issue. So there you go. Uh, but that wraps it up. So that was our first, um, I'll call it real episode of 2020. So thank you guys for sticking with us. Um, as always, just want to remind you that we're a podcast of the Grove church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove church. You can find all of our resources on our website at grove.church. Um, then do us a favor, leave us a review, uh, five stars if you like it, because it really helps get the podcast out there to more people. Yeah, um, yeah, if you have any ideas or you know criticisms or whatever it is, uh, feel free to message us in uh, along with your questions to the uh, either info at grove.church or you can find the Grove Church Facebook page and direct message in there. Uh, but with that being said, we will see you all next week. Have a great day.